yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. You still can smash someone. You can rugby. The collisions are still massive, but they just need to happen in the right place. The head is not like we're not boxing. We're like you know, we're not doing those kind of things. And even even boxers, if they get a head injury, they're still down for nine months if you get knocked out properly. I just think the treatment of all these things, we just need to, we need to get this thing right. But we need to enforce the rules that are in place, and, and we need to stop people with that kind of rhetoric because what they're going to do is they're going to our game is going to be finished in twenty or thirty years if, if if it keeps going the way it's going. After a slow start to the Champions Cup, the final round of pool action offered up plenty of drama with Leinster, Munster and Ulster all advancing to the knockout stage. Connacht also progressed to the Challenge Cup last 16 despite a damaging defeat, while we also have the Six Nations launch day to pick through with all six coaches and captains addressing the media earlier this week. Welcome to the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Luke Fitzgerald and Keen Tracy. And Keen, I don't know whether you got the short star or the golden ticket going over to that Six Nations launch day earlier in the week. And the key question on my mind anyway is, is Steve Bortwick as dull as people are making him out to be now that you've actually got the audience with him? That's been the big talking point since he came in. Very detailed guy, but God, you know, he wouldn't be great in a press conference. Yeah, look, I was I was in on the England press conference. He was there with Owen Farrell. To be honest, I think a lot of the heat was maybe taken off Bortwick because Owen Farrell was sat next to him and, you know, there was a couple of warmer up questions and then one of the English journalists eventually kind of stopped beating around the bush and got straight to the point. It was like, you know, and it was asked in the most sincere way possible and like there were like, I was one of them like people were just giggling in the audience oh and how did you get on a tackle school and you know he almost like he knew the question was coming but it was the way it was asked and he had to like really really keep a straight face and he gave the answer that he had obviously you know pre-rehearsed and stuff and you know I suppose no laughing matter in terms of like why you know this tackle school has been introduced and stuff but it was kind of a bit of a lighthearted moment but yeah Bortwick was there I mean the fact that you weren't kind of jumping up and around jumping up around filing copy to, to you Will because I know you were the one putting up most of it uh, there was nothing really kind of in what he said maybe the English lads got got more out of it but like I remember when Andy Farrell first took over as Ireland coach as well like he didn't really say a whole pile either and I would say he's now far more like not interesting but I think his answers and like his thought process is far more interesting even yesterday it was re- do you think so when I read his quotes I just find that like they're kind of like 
talking around in circles and even the stuff about Carberry and stuff I didn't feel like there was a really a straight answer there as to why he wasn't in the squad I think he's gotten way better I think when he first came in I don't think he was very comfortable with the amount of media that maybe he had to do like some people like Joe Schmidt and even Leo Cullen is a master at it you know he's very comfortable in front of a camera in front of a dictaphone whatever it may be but no I think Farrell has gotten better and I think like, you know there, you being on the ground at Six Nations launch, it kind of it is what it is. Like guy, the co- coaches and captains are wheeled around to different rooms, and you kind of get what you can. But being over there, it's interesting to kind of just get like body language, and you get like chatting with different people. And I thought like Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton were unbelievably relaxed uh, while they were there. Um, Farrell like was kind of cracking jokes and you know making puns about Warren Gatland and and things like that. And it just kind of spoke to me like of two guys who were just like really confident and comfortable in the position they're at all the while you know Steve Bortwick is doing this for the first time Warren Gatland is doing it for his first time since being back so I suppose while everyone like England and Wales have gone for the chaotic approach in terms of changing coaches at this stage of the World Cup cycle Ireland are in a good place I think and that probably speaks to the bigger picture and then of course you had Anton Dupont and uh, Fabian Galtier walking around who were just I'd say the two coolest people in in the house like Galtier was walking around um, with you know his glasses and his suit and his white shoes and actually one of the I was chatting to one of the journalists who covers a lot of the French team and I didn't know this actually and he was telling me he was like do you know why Galtier wears those glasses and I kind of like you know well I assume he needs glasses <laughs> but seemingly his um his friend has this glasses company and this is like the style that he goes to so he wears them to plug his friend's um, company so that's a little bit of uh, useless information but that's that's what you get at the, the launch and <laughs> I, got, the days where I, I have always wondered if he had some kind of yeah. eye issue or something like that no, yeah, like the Edgar Davids just a cool thing. cat Cool cat, <laughs> cool cat, and supporting his mate's business. Yeah. Now I'd, I'd love to know how many sales he's gotten on the back of it. Um, little, little revenue share. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. You had Anton Dupont strolling around like as if he owned the place and stuff as well. But it was all very relaxed, and I think because they can be a bit of a bun fight. These like any sort of launch because the the coaches and players are answering the same questions different ways all day. But because there was so many talking points, there was plenty to get stuck into, which I suppose bodes well for the show. Yeah, Luke, and I, I noticed that Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton were really kind of talking up how much they're targeting the Six Nations Championship a Grand Slam was mentioned which you know ordinarily maybe in the past wouldn't have been talked about at the launch from an Irish team like how how vital it is considering what happened in 2019 and that was something they touched on as well how badly that Six Nations went and how it fed into the whole year like would it be massive to win the Six Nations in terms of the World Cup what they could achieve then or are you kind of treating them as separate things that a bad Six Nations or one where they don't win it can still be salvaged come you know the autumn yeah, look, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I think I'd probably lean on playing better during it, and I think the Grand Slam, to my mind, like, what 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 are you saying when you're when you're uh, you're saying you're going for a Grand Slam? You're saying you want to win every match, and you're you hope to win every match, or you expect to win it. Maybe I don't know. I don't think they went that far, uh, but. I think that's a pretty normal thing to say, really. Um, uh, you know, any team going into a competition should be looking to do that. Um, and Ireland have the form to kind of back that up. So I quite like them uh, coming out and say that. I think they've caused to be confident. Um, and, you know, I think there's a reason they look comfortable. Andy Farrell probably more so because the team is playing well. But Johnny Sexton, just by virtue of being there for so long, he's a smart guy. He's good with the media. He's pretty savvy. So I'm not surprised that they came off relaxed and I think probably 
from the few sound bites of sound bites I've heard uh, that they came off quite well. Um, and I think when you talk about the two competitions, I still think there's not a massive amount of correlation between you know playing well in the Six Nations and doing well at the World Cup. I still think there's quite a lot of space. What about and playing time. badly in the Six Nations and playing badly? I don't in the think World there's Cup. a car- the, the, but the correlation works both ways. Yeah. I think if you play badly, I don't think it really impacts your World Cup. But the I last st- time, you know, it was, it was, I thought, yeah, like I, I lingered. It seemed to linger like all year long last time. Yeah, I don't know, but then you have teams who don't do well, like say South Africa, like they didn't have a good uh, rugby championship and then they went on and won the World Cup. So I think there's loads of examples for both cases and let's face it, uh, there's not enough world, there's been enough World Cups in place for us to really have a real body of knowledge to say, okay, well look, we can look at the data there. If you play well in this, you'll do well in the World Cup. So I don't think we have those things and I think the two are uncorrelated. But I think if you were asking me personally if I was coaching the team or playing in the team, would I rather be playing well and winning before the competition? I think absolutely uh, and leaving all the superstitions and, and all that stuff outside of it uh, you know I think that's what they'll be aiming for and they're right to try and win it I'm, I think I'm more with you actually Will on this um, I think you can play well in the Six Nations and you don't have to win a Grand Slam or even necessarily a championship but just as long as you're playing well and it looks like you know you know, you might lose a game because you're trying to add different things to your game plan and that's something that Ireland clearly didn't do in 2019 but like to be fair, Ireland in the last few years in recent memory haven't had too many disastrous Six Nations. Obviously, 2019 was one of them. So if they were to have a really bad Six Nations, I think it would be cause for concern because it'd be so out of, kil- out of kilter and you don't have a lot of time to turn that around. So, But I'd be, I'd be fairly optimistic um, that that wouldn't happen. And that's something I was asking Johnny Sexton about at the launch yesterday. You know, I know it's a new head coach, but... Andy Farrell was there in 2019. Johnny Sexton wasn't the captain, but he was there. And I I always felt like this was one of the really positive aspects of hiring Andy Farrell because lots of people, you know, were saying at the time, well, he was too close to Joe Schmidt and it's it's not enough of a break and um, in terms of going in a new direction. But like, if you look at the flip side, Andy Farrell saw what didn't work in 2019 for that Ireland team. He couldn't have had a better seat. So um, I would be fairly optimistic that between the likes of him and the coaching staff that he has on board, and of course, with Johnny Sexton driving it, you know, that they won't make the same mistakes and I think complacency did set in it's definitely been touched on a little bit that they stood still too much um, and I don't get the sense that that's going to happen with this group and I think and this is something Andy Farrell was talking about as well the fact that in November they, they were never really at their best even though they won all three games I don't think you could say that Ireland had moved on significantly since the summer where they were outstanding in in New Zealand. So I think that in itself gives them plenty to work on. It's not like they're coming into the year thinking, oh, like we're great and we have it figured out. So, and the fact that they won all three games in November was huge because they found a way to get it done when they weren't quite at their best. So I think there's plenty. Um, and there were some new names in there. Exactly. Well. Yeah, and I think there was a, that, that was a very productive November, you know. And I think one thing that is interesting is that, um, you know, I think, sorry, by the way, I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. I, like, I think it's important that they play well. Uh, I'd rather be playing well before, it, which is which is kind of what I'm saying too. But I think, you know, the, the changing of the... Uh, I would hate to have had... To, like I like to have the continuity between Schmidt and some of the coaching staff like people forget how good a coach is like he was brilliant he's so good at the basics of course he's not perfect but let's face it like I don't think it's any bad thing that Andy Farrell was learning from Joe Schmidt he's Absolutely, been he's yeah. been next to Warren Gatlin he's been close to lots of great coaches now what we what we have seen which is positive is that he has his own he's his own personality there's definitely a difference between how the team plays now and how they how they play with Joe Schmidt might be natural evolution but I think it's probably driven by Andy Farrell so I think there's loads of good things about that I don't think we have to be worried that he was there at the last World Cup I think as you were kind of I think half alluding to I think it was a good thing he's there I hope there is some learnings and I think the Ross Byrne selection which I'm sure we're going to get into um, 
is probably evidence of that. And Crowley as well. Like he's he's not afraid to make those big decisions. Pretty close to the World Cup. This is a big. There's not that many games after the Six Nations for people to catch the catch the eye. Well, you can't really catch the eye after Six Nations. The, the World there's Cup, a few matches. It, 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 a sorry, few. for the provinces you can, yeah. but the World Cup warm up games it's too late. Like realistically, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, particularly like I think the third one, the squad will all, already have been picked. So if you're out of the Six Nations squad, and we made this point a couple of weeks ago, I think when we were talking about the Ulster lads who missed mm. out. If you're not in the Six Nations squad now, you're very much up against it in terms of like trying to make an impression I think in test rugby why do you think Joey Carberry was left out of the squad Andy Farrell refused to divulge the conversation he had but like why do you think ultimately that he, he was dropped I think it's first of all I think it's fair enough that he didn't divulge that conversation I think you've got to have a, a relationship and I think Andy Farrell is very respectful towards his players and I think there's a reason why the players like Andy Farrell because he's a really good people person and while I'm sure Joey Carberry didn't enjoy getting that phone call last week you know he's he's got to suck it up and why was he dropped? I, I I don't know, to be honest, is is the answer. I think there's been times when, particularly when he was coming back from the ankle injury, when he wasn't playing well and he was still getting in Ireland squads. I don't think he's been playing that badly um, over the last while. But perhaps like the warning signs maybe have been there because if you think back to, we'll say, the Munster Denser game in Stevens, Stevens Day, uh, you think back to the Northampton game a couple of weeks ago and you think back to Toulouse, Joey Carberry was taken off early in all of those games. And still so started all of them though. You he know, started as it, and he's played so much for Ireland. Just, you said you didn't really know there. Because for me, it was a, kind of a, a big call. It was a exciting call bringing in new guys. But it also kind of baffles me as well considering the amount of game time that's been invested in him to, to cut him loose as you say the last six nations doesn't it give him a whole part of time to get in it's almost like the, the time to do this was two years ago not not was there was there, was anyone standing out though will over the over those two years so we talk about say you know you know he was getting selected during that period but i really feel like there wasn't that many really viable options during that period yeah. ross Byrne has re-emerged this year and is playing some great rugby and sorry i would say even towards the, the latter half of last year actually i thought ross Byrne has been excellent for quite a long period disagree. of time yeah and, and i think it's probably a virtue more so of ross Byrne playing well rather than maybe Joey Carberry not playing so well. And I think as well, the other factor in this is possibly the bolter in Crowley, who looks like an absolute player to me, and he's a way better defender. I think maybe as well, what might be coming against Carberry is possibly that little bit of robustness in that in the, the defensive side of the game. But also, you know, he, he it's hard for him to get a run of games. I can't really remember him getting a run of games at all over the last three or four seasons. He <coughs> generally plays three or four, then gets a niggle. Now, look, Lots, it's a tough game there's lots of players you can probably look at who are in the same boat but I, I think as well you know his kicking from the deck is a little bit suspect at times whereas Ross Burns look very solid in that respect um, and there's just a few things that I can think of off the top of my head I think um, and I think that, re that emergence of Crowley is actually quite an important factor I know you make the point Will that like he's been starting the games but you go back to Toulouse on Sunday he gets taken off at a critical game and what out half in the world would be taken off at that stage he's your most important player and okay like Jack Joey Carby had taken a couple of big hits and maybe there was part of that was factored into could decision could have something underlying uh, as well, it, it could but yeah, he was yeah. taken off against Northampton at a similar yeah, stage he yeah, was definitely. taken off against Leinster as well so he missed crucial conversions he missed and crucial kicks at the weekend and against Leinster as well yeah so like there, there are there are you know signs there and like, it was interesting you know you talk about Ross Byrne coming in but I just I find it hard to understand 
if this eventuality was going to happen, why it hasn't happened sooner? Like, why has he been left out in the cold so much? Like, you're asking a guy now to come in with only a few games to go to the World Cup. And, like, if the World Cup squad is being picked in the morning, they're your 310s. And it's not a lot of time to get Ross Byrne back used to the environment. I feel like he's mentally a strong player, Keane. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, absolutely is. And I I know, like, I, I made this point on the podcast with Sinead a couple of weeks ago that for the last few Leinster games, I've noticed that the ones I was at, like, like Ross Byrne is a de facto captain for, for Leinster the amount of talking not just on the pitch but Leinster go into a huddle before every game for anyone who's listening should watch out for the next day well if you find this kind of thing interesting but I always do like who are the ones kind of talking behind the scenes particularly when Johnny Sexton isn't there and if you watch the Leinster game this weekend they're playing Cardiff at the RDS uh, well Ross, sorry Ross Byrne won't be playing so ignore that but the next time he is he's the one well, I saw it the weekend because like, actually I, I listened to your statement and I yeah. was keeping an eye out at, I was at the match at the, on Saturday and he was doing a lot yeah. of talking Like I actually thought he was a bit too going home in that game like, he went to the corner a few times where the game was in the melting pot and the, the three pointer on half time would have been mm-hmm. good I just felt he had that bit of extra confidence from being in that squad I thought he was actually yeah. playing well at the moment Will. he is no, yeah. no doubt about it Yeah, but I just, he's just such a leader you know and you know the big thing for him now is to take it into the the international scene like we we've I think we all agree that he was probably a little bit hard done by but he hasn't yet shown that he is ready to take that I would say to be a consistently good test 10 yeah, so like if, because the closest game he's started in the recent years that you might say is close to test rugby is the semi-final against La Rochelle in 2021 where he played against Exeter off the bench played really really well led them to the semi-final Sexton was out he didn't play well that day you know that was another kind of little test for him to take Leinster up a notch could have gotten them to a final potentially didn't play well that day either so it, it is a big step up as well as good as he's been and I agree with Luke that it, it is a big step up and the, the Crowley piece is interesting like he's not starting it out half yeah. at club level so like that kind of baffles me too like is Crow- so Crowley's in there like almost as a bolter you know whereas would it not Frawley, be better Frawley could have nearly been in the same if Frawley hadn't got injured I think Frawley might have been in the same situation possibly not starting at 10 for his club but possibly still ahead of Carberry if it came down to it. Just if you were basing off this after the summer, so I think there, there's there's definitely a lack of confidence there somewhere in Carberry. It would be my opinion in the coaching staff. I think that's they've definitely been searching for something. They've been searching for someone to stand out, and I think that's it's no it's like I, you know my kind of view on Carberry. I think he's a brilliant rugby player. Um, I just feel like ten is a tricky spot for him. I think that I, I think that's a, it was a big move he made based off a of Graham Henry recommendation from being in Leinster for three weeks. Now he's a genius, Graham Henry. We I'm thinking you know his rugby CV is pretty much unquestionable, but he was only there for three weeks and he made a massive career move. He had been playing brilliant rugby at 15 for Leinster at that period and made a massive career move down to Munster. And I think the injury thing, the injury profile is something definitely that's held him back a little bit from kicking on. So there was always questions about this, I think. Yeah, and I think there'd probably be a few people in in Leinster behind the scenes when the squad was named and probably say like, you know, we told you so really and not like in a smug way, but there was a reason why they wanted to hang on to Ross Burners or back up 10 and maybe now we're seeing this. And I think the injury thing is, is such a good point. Like, Joey Carby's career was hanging in the balance. Like, let's not forget that. Like, he very, very was nearly, like, finished playing. And, like, the kind of mental toll that that must take, I'd say, is enormous. Now, he has come back and he's looked good, but I don't think he's looked... Um, as good as he was before he got at that ankle injury in, in 2019. But look, Farrell clearly wants to see a response from him. You know, the comparisons have been made between, like, Gavin Coombs and stuff, but it's different. Like, Gavin Coombs isn't in the Ireland 20, the first choice Ireland 23. And like you said, Will, Farrell, and so did Joe Schmidt today, they've invested so much time into him being the backup 10 to Johnny Sexton that it's an enormous call. 
I think to, to do it at this it's a ma- it is an unusual call as well I think I, I like I was still the like, crowling thing it, is probably more t- surprising it wasn't tipped or flagged at all like yeah, you know no, no. usually like you know yourself Rudd like Jerry Thornley they have these little breadcrumbs about what the squad blow a no one no, no one was talking about it no one was talking about it no one was writing about it I, I thought it was I was flabbergasted I was, down, I in, it, like. I was down in Limerick la- last week on Wednesday the day before the squad was being named for, for training because uh, they had the press conference there and Joey Carberry was training and like from certainly from what I could see he didn't look like, the, like he was carrying the weight of the world in his shoulders and John Fogarty was there Ireland's scrum coach and I was kind of only thinking back to it in hindsight I'd say Foggs definitely wasn't the one going to break the news to Joey Carberry <laughs> I'd say but like he, yeah like it, it's a really really tough call but it, it has massive implications not just for Ireland but for Munster like the stuff Andy Farrell was saying yesterday just on Ross Byrne he was talking about, you know, he, he pointed to, which was interesting, he wasn't actually pointing to the Champions Cup games He, in terms of Ross Byrne. It was the Ospreys game. And when he came off the bench and he was like unbelievably impressed about how he grabbed the team and he led the team well and you could see him guiding them around. I think that's something Carberry maybe still doesn't do that well. I think he's still a little bit quiet. We talk about Ross Byrne being a de facto captain for Leinster. I think that they're really still trying to push Carberry. He's a clearly a different personality. And, you know, I'd love to know what kind of impact he had in the week of the Fiji game in November because I know he got injured in the game but I'd love to have seen behind the scenes what Carberry was like that week because it's very rare that you get a chance to lead a week like with Johnny Sexton around and even in Paris you think that he was called in kind of late he's, in the day. He's certainly a different personality like I think Ross Byrne is like Ross isn't a really loud guy but he has an authority about mm-hmm. him you know he's a very he's a smart guy uh, I'm not sure you had much exposure to him I, I think I actually have a reasonably decent relationship with Ross really nice fella too but I, he's a guy you could follow like he's a smart guy understands the game you can see I'm not surprised that you know with a little bit more confidence playing a little bit a little bit more regularly um, that he is taking control in those huddles you can see that in his personality whereas possibly with Carby the little bit I know of him um, lovely guy as well but probably a bit more passive I would think maybe uh, that could have changed in the interim period He maybe he's had to build that it's likely he has um, but that was my impression of the two personalities probably a little bit more uh, Ross Byrne maybe take take the you could see him taking the game but it's gruff yeah. and like just personality wise not even talking about how they play the game um, just from the personalities off the pitch so interesting to see how this thing transpires and it actually you know whether or not you know being in the camp actually gets them more rugby like it sounds like they're going to go for this they're going to go for for uh, you know five wins out of five here so like if Sexton's fifth does that mean he plays every single one is that right? We don't know. But he has done that in the past. So we might not even see Ross Byrne here. And maybe there's actually, we end up coming out of this Six Nations with Ross Byrne having played 30 minutes, Crowley having played 30 minutes. And really it didn't matter at all yeah. that Joey Carberry wasn't in the squad. He might have ended up playing yeah. the same amount of international rugby, just not training. Well, there's three the games for Munster as well for Carberry to play. I know they're only URC games. What does he say if Johnny Sexton plays the line share the, the minutes? But, he, but his place in Munster is going to come under threat as well. This is the reality of the situation. Like Andy Farrell was talking about Crowley yesterday going, I think he used the words, I'm possibly paraphrasing, but I think this is what he said, we need to invest time in him. Like, He's brilliant. I think oh, Ireland so good. now see Jack Crowley as Johnny Sexton's long-term successor. I think they've waited a while and whatever they see in him and Munster clearly do as well because when Joey Carberry, I know Jack Crowley was playing 15 because Mike Haley went off at the weekend, but when Carberry has been going off, it's to put Crowley into 10 and that to me says a lot as well. He's a young guy. I've been so impressed though. And he's a real leader as well behind the scenes. I did a piece um, a while back and I remember covering him at 20s as well. He's an unbelievably confident guy. He'd be the opposite to Carberry as well. And you can see him, he's 
yeah. barking lads around. He'd be much more like a Ross Byrne than a Joy Carberry in terms of personality. And I think that catches the eye of coaches as well. You know, he gets into Ireland camp and he's not this kind of arrogant guy. He just really he's wants to learn. He's pretty tough as well, though, Keane. What's the word on that? Stuff, like, he, yeah, is, yeah. he is a tough little fellow. He likes to get over the ball as well. He didn't hang in too long, but I don't mind, <laughs> in fairness. They're pretty big lads in Toulouse. But he was in there. Uh, what I loved is, I think, the tackling. I love that. I think it's a basic of the game. But lots of young players who are in those kind of ball-playing positions, they don't focus on it. I think Healy's probably a bit suspect in that area at the moment. It's something that's an area, if I was looking at him, I think he needs to improve in his game. But Crowley is in there, getting stuck in, tackling the big fellas. It means you don't... People know they can't go down there. It's not a weak point. They might still go down there to try and tire you out. But it means he's not going to have to worry with more people. Whereas if Carberry's there, I think I'd, be, I'd certainly be targeting that area. I know I'm going to get soft shoulders. It's a small part of the game, but it's important. And I love that since he's been in that 12 shirt, similar enough to Frawley, he is bossing the ball. Mm -hmm. And you can see him organising the Munster forwards. I think it's a big reason why Munster have actually looked an awful lot better. There was a lot of handling errors in the weekend at the start of the game. But once they settled down, I thought Crowley was a really important factor in that. It looked like he was organising those forwards into way better positions. He was bossing that ball out of that forward, out of that forward trio outside of Carberry. And I thought that's why Munster were a real threat throughout the game. And they, I thought they played very good rugby he, I thought, was the catalyst for that. To my, just in my, my own opinion, watching the game. Yeah, to move into the Champions Cup, the, the Munster performance, they didn't win, but again, there seems to be a lot of positivity around how they played. Obviously, that, that wonder try, probably one of the great Munster tries in, in the tournament. They were close to beating Toulouse in Toulouse. Like, would you be as positive as kind of general mood seems to be? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any shame in coming up short to that Toulouse team, particularly away from home. It's particularly, I same it was when in Tolman Park as well in the fog before Christmas. But um, I think the thing that really impressed me, apart from the the try, the try which was sensational, but they didn't start well at all. They were actually really poor. Very poor. Really they poor. Could, yeah. They could not pass. Yeah, they they're were passing. overrunning everything. They, they dropped passed. so much. Yeah. Well, every every time they had a good opportunity. There was a bad pass. I was like, Jesus, yeah. if they could just... So that, there's something in that. Like, if they can fix those little small things, they're, they're close. Like. But, the, like, it, we were all agreed they were really poor. Like, skills really poor. But they kept at it. They kept mm. at it. I think, like, in the past, there would have been a real temptation to just return, revert to type, you know, box kick your way through this. Like, mm. you know, you don't want to have possession because it's clearly not sticking. And I was really impressed that they stuck in it. And then ended up scoring a try like they did, but they asked Toulouse loads and loads of questions. Like they, Toulouse were really blowing hard in that second half. And I thought got, the pack the, were excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you look at the scrum particularly, I mean, John Ryan, like, yeah. <laughs> does that yeah. look like a good decision? John, or a John bad Ryan decision? putting uh, Cyril Boy on his arse was just like not too many players in the. If Tyke Furlong did what John Ryan did in the Six Nations, people would be going. How, how big is lo a loss is John Ryan Keane? We actually I, we got a few listener questions in. Herbs Antigua was wondering if the loss of John Ryan is, is that going to be like a pendulum swinging back the other way in Munster season? He's been so crucial to their renaissance in the last two months or so. Yeah, I think it absolutely could be. To be honest, I think you know Salanoa has looked good, but you saw when he came on at the weekend, they conceded a scrum penalty. I think he's still very much learning the ropes. And when you're looking at going into the deep end of Europe and the URC like the Sharks going over to the Sharks in South Africa like that's going to be unbelievably tough but like from John Ryan's point of view I don't blame him at all I mean he's got a really good opportunity to go down to New Zealand with his family and play Super Rugby for a few months and good luck to him and you know Munster let him go in the yeah, first he's place. probably not of a mind to, to, to do them a favour or you know to take a slightly less contact I mean we, we don't know what's going through his head but you wouldn't be surprised if that was the case yeah. you know but who knows he, he could come back after Super Rugby and that wouldn't surprise me either because it's a real it's a real short season um, but he's been brilliant like absolutely brilliant and it's not just his scrummaging his poaching as well has yeah, been exactly sensational so like even if he was staying around 
you kind of wouldn't be surprised if he was on the periphery of getting a recall to the Ireland squad yeah. as well, you know, particularly headed the World Cup. Like, Martin has been good though. I think Bielham, when he's no, been yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, Tom, Tom O'Toole hasn't been starting yeah, at yeah, all for. Like, yeah, and John, Moore, John Ryan's a much yeah. better scrummager than Marty Tom O'Toole. Moore, like. Marty Moore ACL out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, the door could have reopened. And I suppose it possibly still could. But when you're playing in Super Rugby, it's going to be. You know, you're out of the Irish system, obviously. So it's been a great story that John Ryan has come back and like he's a really sound fella as well. He's speaking nice fellas. You can't not be, but be impressed. But I think he'll be a massive loss to Munster, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that impressed me as well at the weekend is some of the key contributors in that try, but also generally like Kavanagh, Shane Daly, John Hodden, it all getting touches. Like, we have to mention the Coombs back pass. No? Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty tasty. I think it was forward, but yeah. yeah. It, was a, it, was a, it was a nice pass. <laughs> we'll forgive but, him. But another one, but like the, the young guys who for like a year or two years even we were kind of crying out to see a little more of and mm. to be fair, Graham Rowntree has invested in them like, you know, Keith Earl, Simon Zebo, and some of them haven't been available for periods of the season, but he hasn't been afraid to kind of move on the older players and go with some of these younger guys and they are delivering for him yeah they were they, they did I think and I, you know I will say we give Fekato a bit of grief I actually thought he, he was good, good yeah, yeah, on, ran, ran, didn't good. do anything too fancy but uh, he looked good and strong um, so maybe that's a good that bowls well for them Snyman coming back in as well into that squad I mean like look we, <laughs> we don't know for how long but if it's if that works out like Munster all of a sudden look pretty pretty muscly in that pack don't they um, so yeah look I think it's all boded well I think the work uh, behind the scenes that's been put in the trust that's been given um, that's an after game which we all thought was a bit of a dead rubber has actually proven to be a real catalyst for this team to move in a, in a, in a very different direction and you have to give credit to Graham Rowntree I mean that's a you know and, and the coaching staff it looks like Prendergast is starting to make some, some inroads as well I thought uh, Leamy's work you know it definitely looks like that's paying dividends um, so yeah they're, they're in a very good place um, and I think I don't think many teams would want to play them actually um, you know I think um you know, I still think there's a place for for Azebo and an Earls in there. I think they they will add something. I think Haley's Conway, actually been Conway to come back. Conway yeah, to come back in. Someone who's kind of fallen off. Yeah. The yeah. Conway, I think, will be another while. I think yeah. Conway yeah, be another while. Really yeah. frustrating for him. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. he he was such a key part of Ireland's plans as well. And Munster have missed him. Like, he's top class winger. Top class and brilliant in the air. Yeah. You know, you still need to be good in the air. I know they're trying to move away from that a bit, yeah, but no, uh, look, I, I think things are very positive there. I think they've stuff to to continue to build on and to work on. But I think the more time they have there, if they can be astute in the summer make a few clever signings um, and a few of those younger guys keep continue to come through I think they're in a good place I like the coaching staff I think it seems like there's a good buzz around Tomlin Park which was always a fortress um, you know I think that looks like that's coming back too and, and they'll be a t- difficult team to beat so yeah I think things are looking good there yeah and the next four games in the league Benetton, Osprey, Scarlets and Glasgow and while they have lost some guys to the Ireland squad other guys like you know Calvin Nash, Shane Jaley, John Hodden, all these guys are still going to be there playing for them. Joey Carberry, so that's four winnable games to really get them back up the table into the URC contention as well. Yeah, their whole season has changed really, and it probably did hinge on that South Africa game. And I don't think like you know I, I presu- like I know the criticism stung them at the early stage of the season but you could only kind of judge in terms of what you were seeing but I don't think many people doubted that it was going to turn you have to remember the, the big shift that they were going through in terms of the tactics it's night and day and I think that try that they scored summed it up you know the licence that the players have now to play under Mike Prendergast you even see I know every like most teams are doing it now but their invention around quick tap five metre penalties it's not just put your head down and like driving on there's much more variation to it do you think the Marie so. thing because I, 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 I'm uh, I love Murray, like, but do you think? I think that's that looks like it's made a big impact to the pace at which they can play the game at. Yeah, it has, and Craig Casey's role in that try was sensational. The little yeah. dummy that he made. So I still think there's a place for Conor Murray of actually. Is, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but Craig Casey's been very. There's good. definitely a change there. I think the team needs to like. It sounded like that's they've been pushing against that or kind of thinking about it for a while. 
it looks to me like that move is now in transit would you well, say you'd, you'd have to imagine yeah, so yeah and it'll be I think it's a starter I think there's still room course, on yeah, the yeah, on the yeah, bench because yeah. there is games where it does require a different style of scrum half but certainly Ireland and Munster and you know the other provinces too to, to different extents do want to play that half, fast tempo game yeah, yeah and like you, you can underestimate as well the the shift in morale that's in Munster this season as well like um, like my understanding of would have been over the last few years that there would have been a lot of really frustrated young players you've you've mentioned plenty of them there will who felt like you know they were the ones kind of you know keeping the show on the road in the pro 14 in the urc and then once like it didn't matter the form of the international player once the second they walked back in the door oh, right, they were right. starting and that had a really damaging effect i think on the morale of the younger players who felt like that they were playing well but they knew that they were going to be either on the bench or not in the match day squad at all when the when the full squad was around it that has shifted totally and Roundtree is back in the young players and I think that's why Toma Park is you know being becoming like the fortress it is again because fans can get behind that fans can get behind when young players are being trusted and are being encouraged to ex- express themselves like they did last weekend in Toulouse as well like that Toulouse uh, that try in Toulouse was Toulouse-esque really like wasn't it um, and like if Toulouse <laughs> scored was. that try like, Toulouse all, have been Toulouse yeah, yeah like we're all we're all jumping up and down so yeah. I think credit where it's credit due I think losing to Toulouse like by the narrow margin that they did probably shows where Munster are at the moment Toulouse are one of the best teams in the competition Munster still aren't maybe they will be again in a couple of years but they're not now so I don't think there's any shame in that I, I don't know I'm not even sure a couple of years I think that like I know like I think the summer is big summer's in terms big of, that's yeah. why I was kind of alluding to that yeah. sorry that is going to be a very important period and who's them, making you know? the decisions as well is yeah. really important as well because we know what happened last year for Roundtree came in to sign as, as head coach the signings, signings were already done if the coaches that are in there now can, you know, ha- be the ones who are making the decision, you know, I think Munster are definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of promise there for sure. Leinster Rassing on Saturday. Leinster got the job done in the end, got the bonus point win. I think a 26-point victory, but mm. Leo Cullen stressing it didn't feel like that for, for long periods. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, it didn't feel that way at all. You know, I think it's, it's kind of smacked a little bit of what I worry about with Leinster sometimes when I watch them is that... I feel like they haven't always got a good sense of how the game is going and they just they just play the one way they play at the same pace it's kind of breathless um and sometimes I wonder are they better off slowing the game down being a little playing playing the um playing the percentages it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to play slowly for like 10 15 minutes mm-hmm. I just mean sometimes for two or three minutes just get yourself into the in, into a kind of a set of you know nine or ten phases and I felt like there was a period and I can see it sometimes against La Rochelle is another example I think and the Saracens ones couldn't go through the phase people overrunning the ball a little bit sloppy with the passing just feeling the pressure a little bit feeling the pressure to play at that pace now I think they do need to play and the ball needs to be in play for a long period of time for Leinster to really get pay. I think they, they have that advantage. They've got that bench. They've got that way of playing. When the game opens up, they, that's when the Leinster are at their most dangerous. And I think no one can really live with them when, when they are in those periods of the game where those purple patches, where all the passes are sticking, all the running lines are timed perfectly. But my worry is that they're trying to be a little bit too perfect with it sometimes and when and they're, they're, they're overrunning things. They're trying that extra pass. They're trying the speculative one. When really... There's probably another phase in it. Do you know, yeah, like they're going for that killer blow just a little bit too early for me, Will. And I worry about that later in the competition against a good team where you might not get an opportunity to get back into a game. And I think that's 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 where I'm a little bit worried a little bit uh, at the moment, just when I look at Leinster. But I have to say, they at, at the moment, they are fighting through those periods 
brilliantly well and no one can cope with that pace no one can cope with all the threats all over the pitch um, they're playing that New Zealand brand of rugby that, I've, that I just love watching where everything on the pitch is an option and everyone on the pitch can pass the ball and find holes and it's so difficult to defend when the passes are sticking and when they're accurate at the rook I think the rook thing sorry is something that probably should be brought up they are under-resourcing under some of the earlier phases and they're not giving teams enough credit when teams are set to defend them well and they're not making ground. You know, they're not making those big breaks. And even sometimes when they are making the big breaks, just maybe resourcing that, making sure they were resourced those ones, uh, you know, a little bit early in the earlier kind of phases. Um, that's that's a little bit concerning too. I think they coughed up a lot of ball from good positions and even from positions where they shouldn't have lost it. They should have had been able to play another couple of phases. Um, so there are two things I picked out from the game, Will, um, that I think they can improve. Um, and I think it's quite important that they improve them as well, actually. I think if they're playing better teams, that they'll need to do those things better. Yeah, because a few of the things you said did jump out to me as well, especially in, in that first half. It was a little bit of franticness when they got into the opposition mm -hmm. 22. Yeah, trying a few extra offloads. It was a little too helter-skelter, I thought. And then Ross Byrne, I mentioned earlier, but turning down that easy three-pointer on half-time when the game was still very much in the melting pot. There's still 40 minutes in the second half. They didn't need to go for the killer blow, I didn't think, at that juncture. I know it serves them well most of the time, but Keen, what about yourself? I know you were writing about it, and you said there were a couple of warning signs around maybe the mall defence again, mm -hmm. around the scrum again, and we know that kind of the route has been mapped out. If Leinster keep winning, Toulouse could be coming to the Aviva Stadium, and then potentially Ron O'Gara and La Rochelle once again, which, you know, they're the two big beasts in the, left in the tournament, really. The route is mapped out, and I was realising this on, on my way to London to the Six Nations launch, and I think it's really frustrating, actually. It could be the exact same as last season. Leicester in the quarter-final, if they beat Ulster, Toulouse in the semi-final, La Rochelle in the final. Ugh, I, I, they've just made such a mess of this format. Like, I don't like the way that that can happen two years in a row, personally. Oh, but that's just a look at a draw. Like, that could, that's, that's not the format's fault. Like, that could have happened... Like just because same the format would have yeah. <laughs> went in down <laughs> went in down F the format out of it you effing format let's not, let's not miss an opportunity to have a go at that format yeah. um, no anyway that's just like a personal thing and even like the, them playing Ulster I know it'll be a good game around the 16 but that doesn't float my boat as much as seeing Leinster go up against a, a team who we don't get to see them play regularly but anyway yeah like I'm like Leinster in attack are just a joy to watch at the moment like like I spoke about Munster's variation like Leinster's variation is just on another level and it's brilliant to watch but I'm just not convinced that they're a better team than they were last season yet I think the reliance on Tyke Furlong is as strong as it's ever been um, I think teams are going after Michael Alatoa now and I think it's a, it's a big concern when you see what the Osprey scrum did and the Osprey scrum has been very good this season you'd have to say um, do you think Jenkins just to touch on the scrum I want to ask you this a little bit in tandem with the, with the furlough thing do you think the Jenkins thing is, is, is important yeah I think it is yeah and that's why they signed him in the first place yeah. but you know yeah, he's yeah. out injured like Joe McCarthy came in last weekend and you know he's going to build it but I'd be concerned I'm not going to lie I think I think the Premiership is unbelievably overhyped. I think we'd probably all agree, but Gloucester still caused Leinster scr uh, scrum problems, and they also caused some problems at the Mall as well. And like, I, I think it's all well and good when you're hammering teams like they are now. And like, Racing clearly aren't amongst the Europe's elite. I think we, we probably would have thought they were, but we've seen that yeah. they're just clearly not. And like, I just worry that they're kind of waltzing through this, and the problems are pretty obvious. I would say. I think the. Yeah like the mall and the scrum like that's bread and butter to a La Rochelle even a Toulouse so um, clearly it, it's something that they focus on because Leo Cullen has touched it as well so um, I'd be concerned going forward I have to say about Leinster I'm not convinced that like 
everyone thinks they're this kind of unbeatable force, but I really don't think they are. I think when it gets to latter stages and if you come up against a Toulouse or I know they're at home and that is a big factor. Yeah, it's can, interesting. can I say one thing on that, Will, as yeah. well? I think like what's, what's really important about what Keane is saying there is, in my opinion, because when I think about those things, that, and I think you're probably referencing those it's going to be against those big teams that these mm. really become an issue that yes you don't get opportunities later in the game if you're having problems there but also those things like a mall and a scrum they're not that difficult to execute under pressure if, think about how difficult it is to have an intricate backs move everything timed perfectly and split a team open um, under the massive pressure of a finals game where people are overrunning things people are more nervous than they normally would be all this other stuff that goes on in the latter stages of a competition versus the, the, the group stages where they're kind of humming along nicely it's like South Africa the World Cup what they do really well kicking and mauling and beating you up those things are not that hard to execute in a big match which is why teams that have are really good at those things are, are difficult to beat at the end of a competition because they're not hard to do so I know it's, a, it's maybe a really simplified version of it, but it's what would cause you concern. Is Leinster's fantastic play that's brilliant to watch. But how many finals have you watched mm, that yeah. it's really open rugby it's, yeah. and it's brilliant? Even it's the final Leinster won, it was 18-15 or 15-12. Difficult, and, you know, to, yeah, difficult to execute under pressure. And it's interesting that you, you, you make that point because maybe some of it is around you know, your mindset around them all and those kind of gritty things because I thought Ronan O'Gara's comments after the Northampton game was really interesting. Like He was basically saying, that I don't know if you, you guys saw it, saw them but that you know he's trying to motivate his players and tell them that you know Northampton are this really good team when they're not like it was unbelievably cutting mm. but it's true <laughs> but it's true but like I could imagine Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster during the week saying I'm not necessarily talking about Racing because you know they do have the players but like a team like Gloucester you know they're fourth in the Premiership or they were um, you know like they're going to be really tough and then you go in and you just wipe the floor at them and yeah. the players probably know deep down that they will as well so but if they don't get the mindset right if that's what it is, you know, how are they going to turn it on when it comes to the crunch? So they would just be my concerns. I think, you know, it's no harm to be you know, having an unbeaten season and playing well and having these things to work on. But I would just be worried that if, you know, Tyke Furlong and even Jason Jenkins, if they're not fit for whatever reason, when you come up against those teams, mm. I think the Leinster scrum is an issue. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a good thing for them to have these concerns in some ways, because I do feel like this time last year, it did feel like, you know, they kind of that was year one really of this really pacey style of play, and they'd kind of you know moved Porter to, to loose head, and Doris was back, and Sexton was fit again, and it did seem like they couldn't be beaten, and then they were beaten. Whereas this time around, I do think there's a lot of people raising issues. It's not as if they're going to sleepwalk into a defeat anyway. Like yeah. if they lose. It'll have been well flagged and like you know, months in yeah, advance, yeah. people talking about it. I we've think. been we've been burned too often by saying so now, <laughs> now we're changing approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I don't. I don't you're giving out about a potential Leinster La Rochelle final. Jesus, oh me, no, uh, no, no, no. I'm not giving out a potential La Rochelle, especially not from a journalist's point of view. Like when you have Raj again, I just think it's like you know I covered like Leinster's run to the, to the final last year, but you'd like to see them playing against different teams. That's just me personally. Like we've we've so many interpros as it is, and God knows we had so many of them during COVID and stuff that. And I know the Leinster Ulster game will be brilliant. It'll be full house at the Aviva, and you know Ulster could give them a game. But I would like to see, you know, it's that's down. Is that really down to the state of English rugby though? Versus, do you know what I mean? Like, do you know, yeah. what I mean? like, like previously, like a Leicester. You know, when I was playing, say that that first Heineken Cup team, that Le Leicester team was an unbelievable mm -hmm. team. Um, you know, and and Saracens at the height were brilliant. You know, they were proper teams. Wasps teams. We're we all associate yeah, yeah. some great. Heineken Cup games with, with all of those teams and I think that's probably what's causing that versus actually really like at, at least if we're talking about those teams and they're still they're the best teams like they are the best yeah. teams to watch it just would be nice to have 
maybe Saracens have a bit of a later show and it's your Exeter mm. going a little bit further I think but last year's last year's Leinster Exeter was very disheartening for for, for me As I, I was thinking of that going jeez this is going to be a proper game over there Leinster you know disastrous first 15 minutes and then destroyed them but like as things stand like the Premiership is not as good as it was at all it's actually pretty poor like the top 14 you'd have to say is, is you know the, the strongest league but even look at the did every single URC team am I right qualified yeah. for the knockout stages like um, and yeah. I'm pretty sure they did yeah. like that says a lot of also about the league but um, and I go back to the, this point when Harlequins Harlequins won the Premiership you know playing unbelievable rugby and they were class to watch they didn't make a splash in the Champions mm. Cup it just didn't translate at all so it's disappointing and you're right because you know you want to see like Leinster going to King's home and getting a real tough game the reality is they're just far far too good and do we think anything about those South African like I mean will they have an impact do you think or could they have an impact I mean I think well, look, at, look, at, look at the Sharks team that mm. Munster will have to go down to face when they're locked and loaded like Etzebet Lucanio Am Mpimpi Oxnicha Mbanambi Thomas Detoy Garbrandt Grobler the old, our old friend yeah. from Munster you know they, they, they're stacked we haven't talked about them but they would be a nightmare to play against mm. but it's a terrible draw for Munster in that they're going down to South Africa and then they if they win they'll be going back to Toulouse the following week to mm. play them away which again like I think that's really frustrating as well that Munster have already played them and they're going back and play them a couple of day, a couple of games later mm. but anyway um, and then they're going back to South Africa for two URC games like logistically even like that is very very tricky for the, the people in the background of Munster to organise like I mean uh, yeah, I don't know how they're how they're going to work it out. If they obviously, I mean, they'd love to have that headache if they go down and beat the Sharks, but that is a very very tough ask. The Sharks have been a bit up and down, but yeah. going to Derby, going you'd to have Derby to think this will this will whet the appetite there. They'll be up for it at home. John Ryan is gone. I mean, yeah. you look at that scrum. So yeah, yeah it'd be very tough for tough draw. Yeah, well, it was the Stormers and the Bulls. Like they could all make impacts. Now the Bulls are playing. Uh, to lose away so they're you know, unlikely maybe to win that but the Stormers Harlequins game could be you know mm-hmm. a high scoring game yeah. if nothing else and an exciting one one thing we did want to touch on is that new rule change Jorah if you were bringing in a grassroots rugby about the tackle height it'll be from the hip down Johnny Sexton you know speaking of the the, the launch was kind of very kind of critical of it and it's rare to maybe see it, someone that big name come out like what yeah, it, give his comments first it was really interesting actually um, it was the English uh, journalists were obviously asking Johnny Sexton that because it, clearly it's an RFU thing at the moment but it was it was kind of put to Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton were at the top table uh, sitting side by side and I Andy Farrell gave it to Johnny Sexton I think happily and you could see almost see inside Johnny Sexton's brain he was kind of going will I just go for this and just say what I mean and he was probably going you know what this is going to be my last Six Nations on so I am and he probably cares about the future of the game and he just said I absolutely strongly disagree with it and his quotes were brilliant they're up on independent.e if anyone wants to read it and you're right like it's very I think it's it's good that players are being honest if if that's what they feel like. I know Luke, you have strong feelings on it as well as an yeah. I, I I think do you know what it is? There was a great article. I think it's Ross Tucker's his name. It was a brilliant article on it, and he goes through how long a process this has been to get there. And I think the key parts were that like this is you know head injuries. I'm not sure many people really realise how much of an existential issue this is for for rugby going forward. All the all the cases. I'm sure some people have heard of the cases that are going on in the background, but. That is a dangerous, dangerous issue for the game's existence going forward. And they need to make sure that that they're seen to be acting upon it. Now, what was interesting in the article was they were talking about, you know, the, there's two areas. There, there's, a, there's two rules. So I think in... Um, 
France, they or it was a, it was a France or New Zealand. They trialed the sternum height rule, and in France, I think they trialed the hip height rule, and there was way better results from the hip high rule than there was from the sternum high rule in New Zealand. There was big changes where they didn't see the enough enough changes. Um, in, with the sternum height change, which is the one I would be in preference of if they are going to try and bring something in. Um, they just didn't see enough changes. It wasn't a, a, a dramatic enough shift away. My issue with it is it throws up huge issues for large portions of a game that's refereed very hard anyway. Rugby is a pretty technical game. I think also grassroots are struggling to get numbers because of the physicality. And that some will argue that that's a, a, a point that would support bringing in this kind of rule. But I think it isn't. I think it puts people in unnatural positions. I think it'll put people in awkward positions. I think they still haven't figured out what they're going to do if people are picking and going. Like, how can you hit, if you can't hit the upper body, uh, you know, how do you how do you tackle someone in a pick and go scenario? Um, if someone is leaning in, I know as a smaller player, they were talking about, you know, if, there's, if tackles are hip height, it allows more offloads. And yes, it probably will do that. But what it also doesn't do is for a smaller player, it means you can't get low and protect yourself. Um, which they think that's not a protection. I actually think it is a protection. I know, having played the game at the top level, that me getting lower than bigger players is what protected me in tackle scenarios. Whereas if I have to be up high against a person who weighs five or six stone heavier than me, I'm going to get hurt. It'll also drive people into more unnatural positions and get more leg injuries. Now, they're obviously less serious than a head injury, but it'll cause issues like that too. And also, there are head injuries associated with going towards someone's knees and natural posi- in, 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 and hips in awkward scenarios as well. So there's loads of issues that I think this throws up. And, and the key point in the article for me, which I think was the bit that really confirmed my opinion that this is a bad move, aside from all the other problems that it causes by moving into this area and putting people in unnatural positions, um, I think the issue they, they raised was that the rules that are being enforced now are too hard to enforce because of the negative publicity attached, with giving someone a red card for these shots. All the ne- you know referees are uh, reticent to go ahead and deliver on the rules that are that are in place now because of the bad publicity attached, and also I think the uh, the lack of. Uh, follow through in the bans which wasn't really covered as much but the red card was covered in that article but the bans um, that uh, accompany these high tackles are not being followed through with if you if you impact so well, if, if you're a player and you keep getting in these scenarios and Owen Farrell is I, I love Owen Farrell one of my favourite players but his tackle technique is poor and it's dangerous for opposition players um, and I think that what happened uh, a couple of weeks ago was an absolute disgrace with that dis- disciplinary committee I think it was an absolute disgrace and what it does is it undermines our game and it undermines the safety of the game my uh, preference in this scenario would be yes I wouldn't be completely opposed to trialing something around sternum uh, but also you've got to become you've got to come down really really hard on people and even retrospectively in games um, and just you're going to have a period of 6 to 12 months where guys are getting bans you need to hit them in the pocket. You need to hit players with with game bans where coaches are saying, oh, well, I can't, you know, Saracens can't afford to lose Owen Farrell for 10 games. Oh, he does it again. Well, now it's up to 15 games. Now it's up to 20. You know, each time it happens, it's got to get worse and worse for a player. There's none of these tackle schools, none of this other garbage. Just start pinging people. It will drive down tackle heights because people don't want to miss careers. They don't want to miss games. Clubs don't want them to miss games. Coaches don't want them to, to miss games. And what you need to say is, we don't care what people are saying. We're doing this because this is an existential issue to the game. It's a danger to us, and we're just not going to allow it anymore. And that's it. And, and I think that's how you solve this issue. I think this rule is... It, 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 I think it might drive people away um, from the grassroots, which is already struggling, because it just puts people in awkward scenarios. And uh, That's a long 
monologue. I want to give someone else an opportunity if they want to talk about it. But that was my tuppence. I will say the Ross Tucker article is excellent. If you want to inform yourself, I thought that was brilliant. But there are my issues with it. And I've played the game at the top level, which is the difference between me and a scientist, essentially. Yeah, well, you and Johnny Sexton and Brian Driscoll, I saw tweeting about it, giving his disapproval as well. Kim, well, what's your verdict on it? Like, is it worth trying these things for a season? And if they don't work, it can be tweaked. It can be dropped. Like... I, I do agree with Luke it's very drastic and uh, there does seem to be a lot of kind of maybe unforeseen consequences that could come from it but part of me thinks is one season worth of trials is that is that a potentially a worthwhile endeavour but are we talking about a trial in professional because this is obviously only coming into yeah. grassroots like I mean is it going to ha- like obviously you'd imagine that the, the hope is that it will go up if the trial goes well but are you talking about trialling it in a season in professional, professional I just, it's not I just don't yeah, think yeah. I just don't think that would that would work at all I think the the disciplinary process is, I couldn't agree more. Like I would like, agree with, with pretty much everything Luke is saying, but the disciplinary process is, it's a farce. Mm-hmm. And it has been for a long time. And I think the worrying thing is, we're a few years down the line in terms of like head injuries really coming into the, the spectrum and behavior still isn't changing. And like I think that a lot of that is because you get a ban. Like if you get a ban, if, if I get an eight week ban in the morning for whatever it is, a high tackle, like if I haven't done it before, I know that it's going to be half to four weeks as it is because that's the way the disciplinary process is working. And then I might get another week or two shaved off if I bring the nice biscuits and if, I, if I'm good behavior, mm. which, but you're getting a week chalked off for good behavior. Like it, it's re- that's no it, help to someone who can't remember his kids' names. It's really, re- like it, it's really, really, it's really yeah. like worrying. I would say that the, this is how the disciplinary process works, and like players know that as well. Like I mean, and and what ha- do you know what it is, Keen? It's so short-sighted. It's they don't understand what they're doing. These disciplinary panels, they are undermining the game, and they're putting the game at risk. They mm-hmm. are putting the game at risk. Like people who can't remember their own kids' names haven't played like and rugby is the best sport in the world to me but I have to say that's unacceptable to me and cutting down bands for people who are you know taking risks I understand there are going to be there, there are going to be some collisions it's going to happen but when people are in a tackle scenario and they're too high or they're coming into the space where there's going to be a tackle too high and they hit someone with their own head or with their shoulder I'm just finding that unacceptable I'm finding I'm, I'm thinking now more and more that they just need to cut and changing the rule is not going to enforcing the rules mm-hmm. is what is, is what should be done what doesn't sit well with me either is and I'm just going to use the Owen Farrell case because that's most recent but like you can apply this to, to any of them really the fact that like I know it's an independent committee but it comes under the RFU umbrella like that disciplinary hearing does so of course they were going to do whatever they could you know like whether you know they, they were never going to say it but that that was going to happen he's the England captain but I wonder like is there any scope or would there I'd be curious to get your thoughts like what like what if world rugby made it like a centralized system whereby world rugby were the ones in charge of disciplinary systems so if anyone in leagues go you get sent forward to this committee which is run by world rugby it's not like the RFU over the premiership URC obviously have their own and the top 14 have their own but what if world rugby now it probably come down to finances and that maybe it's yeah, not maybe a lot of work <laughs> who sits in the committee what yeah. countries are there but from? if it was it's difficult if, I, if I it was done centralised then you would take out these grey areas because Steve Borthwick was being asked about it at the launch again you know it it puts them in an awkward Mm. position as well because of course he wants his captain and he's just playing by the rules Owen Farrell is deemed to be available but the message it sends out is just deeply deeply concerning I would say yeah but I think what I I would probably be doing is just taking the decision making out of it and I would just say well like what are we looking at here Is is there a high tackle 
like and so you can't dispute some of those things and you just say right there's a standardized ban for that that yeah. you know so standardize the ban so like everyone can see and, and i think what you could do is if a country you know world rugby should be should have a veto on some of those mm-hmm. on some of those decisions so for example we're we're deciding whether this is a collision and where did the collision happen okay well that's a five week done you're you're gone yeah, it's the mitigation I mean, that's the killer like, yeah like, but if you look at the mitigation world rugby possibly should have a veto over something like that mm-hmm. so maybe that maybe that's what mm-hmm, you do maybe yeah. you have a, a five-person committee or a three-person committee uh, that oversee these things and say well hang on a second the phrase good behavior as well is just chronic it's absolute rubbish it, it, it actually like makes rugby look so bad it makes it look like yeah, that kind yeah. of private school go- yeah, old yeah. boys club when you see God, the good behavior like he came yeah. to the hearing and he was a nice bloke like yeah. so we gave him yeah. two weeks off it, it's Absolute actually rubbish, it's yeah. pathetic I agree like, and, it, it's, it's such a and I hear um, I heard uh, Bernard Jackman on TV at the weekend saying that there's going to be a big push from coaches to try and get rid of red cards for certain things that you kind of have in retrospective this 20 minutes have you ever heard but it's rubbish. not even that it's a retrospective thing that you get put on report and then you get dealt with afterwards oh. like I think that is terrible like a re- now to be fair Bernard Jackman said he didn't agree with it but but he's clearly well connected in coaching but groups like that. All you have to do is listen to the rhetoric. If you watch, say, like a, a Southern Hemisphere game, like mm. so over the summer, like yeah. I, would, I watched, I think, did I watch the Ireland New Zealand game with the New Zealand commentary for one of the test matches? And geez, they have a very different outlook. I know it was the All Blacks getting red cards and stuff, but they have a very different outlook about what should be a red card and what shouldn't be a red card than. You know, I'm not saying we're so enlightened up here and they're not enlightened yeah, there, like, but like they haven't got a case going against their there, union. There is a disconnect between what they're looking at and how they're viewing things. That, that is such a good point that mm. slipped my mind. Like I was down there for that, and like being on the ground, and it's not like you're not talking about supporters. Like you're talking about there was people in in powerful positions. Like we're talking off the record to us. And the same thing. The disconnect is unbelievable. And you talk like we've got a World Cup happening later this year, and like you've got two different sides of the world, not even necessarily two different sides of the world, because there's people up this side as well don't necessarily agree. But like it could be chaos at the World Cup. Well, you there's see, nothing <laughs> tough. There's nothing tough about hitting. To my mind, it's cowardly. It's a cowardly shot. It's a cowardly shot going high. What's really tough is putting yourself in a position to get hurt yourself. That's that's where that's where real toughness is, and it's and it's not by hitting someone else in the head when they're when they're helpless. It's it's a cowardly shot, it's careless, and it's stupid. And I think what they don't realise then are people who are t- the, the tough men who are talking about that is that people are going to take cases about th- this kind of stuff against their units. It's going to happen if it's happening up here. It'll happen down there, um, and we might not be able to pay pay the consequences, and it, and our game will suffer. And what'll also happen is people will stop wanting to send their kids to play the game. So the game dies away, it eats itself from, from, from the inside. So all the tough men out there are, are absolutely damaging the game. Um, and, y- you know, we just need to get with the times on this thing. It's like, this is, th- there's no reason why you still can smash someone. You can, st- rugby, the collisions are still massive, but they just need to happen in the right place. The head is not, like, we're not boxing. We're, like, you know, we're not doing those kind of things. And even, even boxers, if they get a head injury, they're still down for nine months if you get knocked out properly. Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I just think the treatment of all these things, we just need to, we need to get this thing right, but we need to enforce the rules that are in place. And, and we need to stop people with that kind of rhetoric because what they're going to do is they're going to, our game is going to be finished in 20 or 30 years if, the, if, if it keeps going the way it's going. If even. Could be, could be quicker. It's, yeah, it's certainly a topic that will be very interesting to see how it's dealt with over the, the next couple of weeks or, or months as the, the new trial comes into effect mm. and see, see what impact it has. Just before we finish up, guys, I might go finish on a lighter note because that's, that's a, it's a meaty topic. This, this couldn't be further away from what we were just talking about. We got a question in from Colin Friel that I thought was a good one just as we were talking earlier about Johnny Sexton's last six nations, you know, their coach and captain. Who do you guys think will captain Ireland after Johnny Sexton retires after the World Cup? 
I think it, most people probably would have thought it would be James Ryan, but I think you'd have to say Gary Ringrose is now going to be front and centre of it. I mean, he was a bit of a dark horse, I would say, when Leinster selected him. And his form over the last while has just been ridiculous. That pickup of the weekend. Oh, was, but there was so many oh, There was so many <laughs> elements in that try. It was just wonderful. But the fact that the captaincy hasn't burdened him whatsoever, if anything, he's actually gotten better. And like his form is crazy. Like he's a real quiet guy. So like we're going to miss from a media point of view, Johnny Sexton when he's gone, because I mean, you, we talked about the answer he gave at the launch yesterday about the tackle <laughs> stuff. So it's going to be very hard to replace him from a media point of view. But um, like, you know, Peter O'Mahony fills in as captain, you know, generally with Johnny Sexton on the pitch. I presume they're going to look, you know, for the next generation in terms of the next cycle in that. And, you know, James Ryan looked like he was being groomed for it I think they thought you know taking it off him let him concentrate and you know he's learning still properly to call the line outs and stuff he's got a lot in his plate and all of a sudden you've got Gary Ringrose now emerging who I think is going to be very much uh, there thereabouts I think Caelan Doris would be potentially a good captain he captained Ireland under 20s but the fact he's not doing it now maybe not so Ringrose I think is probably the one to watch yeah Luke I'll give you the last word who do you think is best placed I, I, I love Ringrose um always been a huge like you saw him come in as a, as a schoolboy, like like just a great guy too squeaky clean it's always it looks always James right so most of them in fairness but yeah he's like <laughs> smart guy like he'd give good answers if, if, if you if you let him um great player he'll be a stalwart in the team I, I think I'd probably lean more towards Ryan because I think the age profile is just a little bit better maybe and I like having some maybe a little bit closer to Pack. to the action but I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing and, and you're generally probably a bit more tired in there so as your decision making is clear I just like Ryan I like I think he's got a nice sense of, of, of calmness about him I like how he speaks um, I like how Gary does it too. I, I, I could, I, you could make a very strong case for either, and both are good personalities. And I think both will be, both will be in the team for a long time. I think, but I think Ryan is a little bit younger. Ty Furlong gets my vote after his press conference he did when he captained the team <laughs> yeah, against Fiji. Yeah, I was like, I could listen to this every week. I could <laughs> He's a great personality. Look, the good thing is, I, what what I think is very important about Gary kind of emerging in that situation is that Ireland, and I think Ireland have always had. A few great captains, you know, over the years, all the way back to Willie Johns and these guys, um, Dricko. You've got Paul. You've got Leo Cullen. Like some brilliant leaders, they generally had good people around them too. So I think Gary is. It's lovely to have Gary there too. But Ryan, I think, probably fits the bill a little bit more for me, in that he's done it a few times for you know, just a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I so. think I think Ringrose's demeanor with the refs is very very good as well. He's I think he gets yeah. he gets Smart on with them. Um, and like you I mean, if not to make it all about Leinster, but like I mean, Munster are. You know, if when Peter O'Mahony ever retires, which will be in the next few years, obviously you're going to be looking for a new captain. So they don't have someone you'd imagine ready-made to step into that role. I think Ian Henderson a couple of years ago certainly would have been a contender, but he's not even guaranteed to have his starting he, I place don't think at Ian all. Plays enough, you know. I, I know Ryan has had some injury concerns here and there. Gary's got injured here, here or there. Probably a better injury profile than Ryan. Um, but Henderson just does not play enough for me, mm. and I think I, I, he would be a great selection too. Um, you know he's a calm guy um, but I don't think he's playing well enough and I think he's not playing regularly and I'm sorry the two are probably linked is that he's not playing enough and he's not playing well enough um, but that's always been a concern for me with, with Henderson as a player when you were a player just curious did did it like did it ever matter if it was a back or a forward being the captain like do, do players generally like because it's an interesting point you make like James Ryan in the pack closer to kind of the heat of the action did that ever come into players I thinking? don't think so I think the size thing weirdly always helps doesn't it like you got a bit of presence coming into a room Paul O'Connell Leo Cullen coming into mm. a room but like 
I loved Draco was a brilliant captain mm. you know um, Raj was a great leader too Sexto was a great leader like there's all these guys Rory Best wasn't a big guy but he was a great leader too um, so yeah like leaders maybe come in different shapes and sizes I probably for whatever reason I always think of oh, a bigger man second row I just do yeah. I don't know what yeah. it is and I think they're all over the game plan too which is nice like a second row has to have a good sense and of, of what, how the team is doing where he should be calling the line out you know they're very usually pretty close with the with the forwards but the coaching staff with the 10 so I think it's a, it's a good position to be in the heart the back row is a great place too but I wonder is it too hard in the lungs to be thinking clearly Richie McCall was just a freak um, but yeah no it's it, look you get these great leaders everywhere don't you and I think um I I, t- I was very lucky like a great period of big personalities um, who generally had good lieutenants I think that was probably the key part for me always that you have a few lieutenants which is why you know even if it's Ringrose great to have Ryan there too well this time next year we'll be sitting here and we'll know the answer to the question yeah. a lot of rugby to be played between now and then though for the moment Luke Keen, thanks so much for joining me. We'll be back next week on the left wing, looking ahead to that first Six Nations game against Wales in Cardiff. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.